And just to say a couple of things. Firstly, please do keep that passage open in front of you. That'd be really good, really helpful. Uh, we'll be we're referring to it this morning as we as we go through. Uh, it's Acts 10 into 11. And the other thing to say is there is a there's a handout um, if you if you want to follow a lot. Uh, there's a there's a handout on your tables, and uh, hopefully we'll get some time as well for uh, some questions afterwards. So um, if you want to jot anything down on the back, <coughs> there's a kind of a box for thoughts questions, comments, any prayer points you might want to jot down as we're going through. Do make use of that if that's helpful. And uh, before we start, let's pray, shall we? Let's pray together and uh, ask for God's help. Father, we thank you so much for your son. And we do pray, we, we thank you so much that we see him so clearly in your word and that you revealed uh, not only yourself, but your good news to us. And we do pray, Father, that this morning we would uh, know that good news all the more, uh, know it for our own hearts, and know that it is good news for all people. Father, pray that you would work that truth down into us deeply by the power of your Spirit. Uh, this morning and beyond into this week and we pray father that that would glorify you and that we may, may see many people turning to you as a result father we pray for your help this morning and your grace this morning in jesus name amen well as you look at uh, this picture i wonder what you see I guess you would probably see, initially, at least, you'd, you'd respond in one of two ways, wouldn't you? Initially, even if it's only for a second. Some of us would say, I see a vase. Do you see that? Yeah. Great, so if you look at the middle of the picture, you see a vase. Or, initially, you would say, well, I see two faces. Do you see that? Yeah, see two faces on the outside. Now, of course, I've mentioned those two things. If you didn't see it before, you can see both of those things. But initially, your initial response is to see the picture in a particular way. And I guess it is the same with people, isn't it? So if I put these pictures up on the screen, I wonder what it is you see. Now, I suppose, initially, at the very least, we just see what we see. Don't we? So, at the top, there we see a bunch of uh, gypsy travellers. And these, these were, they're in some film, we've got this picture from some, some film. This is the way they're portrayed in that film. And I guess that's fairly close to our view of them, isn't it? So they're people who live, kind of move from place to place, pretty much under their own law, doing pretty much what they want to do, troublesome at times, unwelcome often. So I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this, but just this week we seemed in Camborne to have a, a group of travellers kind of move in and move around Camborne. 
And from some of the conversations that I was having in the, in the school playground from the, from the school run, they were fairly unwelcome. Nobody really wanted them here. Then we have a, um, a homeless person. I guess if you were to go into Cambridge, you would see that. That's a fairly common sight. Okay, so people who we, we see often, we, we might, I don't know, you might give them some money, you might give them some food, but we probably haven't had these people around for Sunday lunch, I should imagine. And then at the bottom, we have a lady called Nellie, and you may have seen her recently on TV. And she is called, or she's labelled, the snakeskin lady. That's because her skin grows kind of ten times the rate of other people. So she has this kind of really thick skin, that's why she looks like she does. Now there's been some recent publicity about her because the few people that have her condition don't live very long. Uh, it kind of restricts your, your breathing and you, you, know, you die at a young age. But she is now 33, she just turned 33, and so she's the longest surviving sufferer with this particular condition. Now, amongst the publicity about her, this, this headline in an article I read uh, said, she wants you to know that she's just like anybody else. Now, of course, the implication is that's not how we see her, is it? If we were to pass her in the street or if she was to approach us, we would perhaps find it a little uncomfortable. We, we wouldn't quite know what to say or, or kind of do because her difference is so glaringly obvious and we would perhaps then treat her differently. The same with a homeless person and the same with uh, gypsy travellers, I guess. We see, what we see is their differences. That's initially at least what we see, isn't it? And yet, just like the picture, just like this picture I, I, I showed you, there is a different way to see them. Okay, there's a different way to see these people. See, on one hand, we look at these pictures and we see what we all see. We, we, we see people who obviously look very different. But to look at this differently, okay, to look at this through a Bible lens, if we were to do that, what would we see? Well, the Bible would tell us we see people in need of the gospel. And we see people who can receive the gospel. So the people who are very, very different but they're people who need the gospel. They're people who are very, very different, but they're people who can receive the gospel and who can know salvation just like we do. Now, we know this because as we've been singing and praying this morning, the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all people. That is the big point of today's passage. The gospel is for all people. And we see this really clearly in Acts chapter 10 and 11 with a man called Cornelius and his kind of relatives and close friends. And the thing about these people is they are different. Okay, so Cornelius and his companions, they are Gentiles. So they are from outside the Jewish nation. Okay, and that difference, the fact that they were Gentiles, they were not Jews, meant they were hated. 
The Jewish people looked down on them. They wouldn't associate with them. They were so different that there was this kind of big barrier between the Jews and them. And yet, what we see in this passage is they hear the gospel and they receive the gospel. Now, in one sense, that ought not to surprise us. You know, we've already seen the gospel go beyond Jerusalem, go beyond the Jews in Acts, haven't we? So an Ethiopian, do you remember that? In chapter 8, even an Ethiopian was, was saved back in chapter 8. In chapter 9, do you remember we saw how Saul has now been God's chosen instrument to, to who? To the Gentiles. And so the, God, the gospel is already in Acts, before we get to chapter 10, is spreading to this group of people. But what we see happening here is that for the very first time, it's very, very public. And so suddenly the whole church, the whole kind of Jewish church, if you like, can see that the gospel is not just for the Jews. It's for all people. The gospel is for all people, even the Gentiles. Even the Gentiles. Now, that truth in and of itself, that is really good news for us, isn't it? Because unless you are from a Jewish origin, I, I don't think anybody is here, you know, we're all Gentiles. And so it's amazing that the gospel has come so far that it's even reached us, wherever you're from, but it's here right now in Camborne. The fact that the gospel is for all people, though, so that, that, that truth, and it's for all people, means that actually this passage leaves us going beyond being amazed at our own salvation. We, we should be amazed at that, but, but beyond that, it means that actually all the kinds of people around us need to hear the gospel and they can receive the gospel, even people like this, people who are so different to us. Now, those are the two things we see this morning, those two truths, okay, that people need to hear the gospel and people can receive the gospel. And we're going to take those two things in turn. So firstly, what we see here is that God wants all people to hear the gospel. God wants all people to hear the gospel. Okay, that's the first thing we see. God wants all people to hear the gospel. So we've already said, haven't we, that this, this, this account, this story, is all about a man called Cornelius, and you see him there in verse 1. Let's just have a look at, down at chapter 10, verse 1. See what Cornelius is like. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. So look, here you have a man who is a Gentile, Okay, so he's a centurion, he's a, he, he's a soldier, and he's in the Italian regiment, so he's not Jewish. He, he's a Gentile man. And he's a man in authority, who is respectable, who does good, and who fears God. Now, I take the fact that God here, in, in verse 2, the fact that it's written with a capital G, means that he fears the true God. Okay, this is not just kind of any old religion. He, 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 he fears the God of Israel. 
Now, we don't know how that is. We're not told how that's come to be. He may have been told about the true God. He may have read the Old Testament for himself, like the Ethiopian in chapter 8. We're not sure. Either way, God wants Cornelius to know more, to hear more about him. So what happens is in verse 3 onwards, an angel of God comes and appears to Cornelius. And he says to Cornelius, look, I want you to go and get Peter, an apostle, from a place called Joppa. So Cornelius, fearing God, does what he's told. He, he sends some servants, and they, what they do is they go from Caesarea to Joppa. It's down, if you look on the map, it's down the coast. Okay, so they have this kind of long coastal walk. And they go to this place called Joppa where they know a man called Peter is staying. And it's clear, isn't it, that God wants Cornelius to meet Peter. He wants Peter to come back and meet with Cornelius. But whilst these people are on their way to go and get Peter, Peter, who's kind of uh, relaxing at this, this, this house called, a man called Simon, he also has a vision. Verse 11, we, we read about it. Peter has this strange kind of sight where he, he, he's there on a roof and the heavens open and, and he sees this sh- something like a sheet that comes down to earth and it's full of all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds. And this voice says to him in verse 13, get up and kill and eat. Now you see Peter's reaction in verse 14. Let's have a look down there. Uh, chapter 10, verse 14. What is it that Peter says to this? He says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, it seems as if God is—it seems as if Peter is going against the voice of God, but actually, he's just being a really good Jew. So, if you read the Old Testament, particularly books like Leviticus, okay, there was put in place these food laws uh, that, that were there as a way of marking out the Jewish nation. So God's people, God's people would not eat any and every animal, just, just like the nations did around them. And it was a way of being distinct from the nations around them. So, so to just go and kill and eat animals like Peter sees in the vision, I mean, that would be making himself unclean or impure before God. It, it, it's kind of like him saying, look, God, I don't care for you anymore. I don't want to live for you. I, I want to be just like the nations around me. So that's why Peter says, surely not, I can't do this. But the voice speaks to him a second time to Peter in verse 15 and says, do you see it there, verse 15? Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So God says, it's okay. The food laws no longer apply. I call them clean. You, You can go and do this. Now look, if you're confused at this point, don't worry, because Peter was also confused. Verse 17 tells us he was wondering about what this vision meant. He was was perplexed, literally. He was confused by what, what he'd seen and heard. But as he's wondering, God speaks to him again. And he tells him in verse 19 that three men have just arrived down from Caesarea, the place where he's staying. They're looking for him. 
and he's to go and meet them. And so he goes and he meets these three men and he, he says to them, look, why, why have you come here? And you see their reply in verse 22. The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. You see, God wants Cornelius and his Gentile friends to hear something. Now, Peter gets this. So he gets up and he goes. He willingly goes. And they travel back up the coast to Caesarea, where Cornelius is. And Cornelius is kind of so excited at the prospect of Peter coming that what he's done is he, he's gathered his, his house full of his, his relatives and his friends, and they're all there. And as Peter walks into this house full of Gentile people, he suddenly gets his vision. He suddenly realises what this was all about. Have a look at verse 28. He said to them, look, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call any one impure or unclean. You see, it was outrageous, just like it's outrageous for Peter to eat animals or meat. It's outrageous that Peter would walk into this house. The Gentiles would happily eat those things, what were considered unclean food. So never mind killing and eating animals. Simply for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile would be seen as the unclean thing to do. Now, to set up that kind of barrier between these two groups was not strictly in God's law. And actually, God, God has always kind of intended his, his Jewish nation to, to love the nations around them, even though they're, they're distinct, whilst they're distinct to love of the nations. The Jews have just kind of worked out this logic. So these guys eat this stuff, so we're going to completely distance ourselves from them. But having seen that God declares all food clean, Peter realises that he shouldn't call, do you see there verse 28, he shouldn't call any one impure or unclean. He shouldn't distance himself from them just because of what they eat. You see, God wants Peter to be there. And he wants these Gentiles to hear something. With Peter standing there, Cornelius tells him again how an angel of God appeared and sent for Peter. And he concludes in verse 33. Look there. So I sent you for Im- immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to do what? To listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. God wants these people, these Gentile people, to hear something. And what he wants them to hear is the gospel. So Peter acknowledges that Cornelius fears God, even lives in a consistent way, an acceptable way before God, but he is a man who still needs the gospel. And so he tells him the story of Jesus Christ. And let me read it to you from verse 36. Have a look down there. This is what Peter says to him. This is what they need to hear. Hey, verse 36, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. 
You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning with Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a, on a cross. But God raised him from the dead. And on the third day, he caused him to be seen. He's not seen by all people, but by witnesses from God, by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him. And everyone, everyone, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. See, Peter tells them the gospel. He tells the Gentiles the gospel that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died under the judgment of God, but he rose again and everyone who believes in him has their sins forgiven, has peace with God. That's what Peter was sent there for. That's what God wants these Gentiles to hear. The good news of Jesus. And so in a very clear way here, the gospel is now breaking new ground beyond the Jewish nation. And and from here it will continue to do so. To all kinds of people, even the Gentiles. Now what's exciting about that is that there was such a clear and sharp divide between these two groups of people. You see it here, don't you? That, that Cornelius clearly was a respected man who lives with integrity, who's in a position of authority, and yet Peter, before he had the vision, would not have associated with him. To Peter, he was considered disgusting, unclean. He would have nothing to do with him. He may have even hated him. But the gospel is so comprehensive, it's so inclusive, that it goes above and beyond any kind of barrier between these two groups of people. And you see that, don't you, emphasised in Peter's telling of the gospel. What what does he say? Verse 36, he says, Jesus is Lord of all. Verse 42, Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. He's the judge of all people. Verse 43, Everyone who believes in him. Jesus is the saviour of all. And if those things are true, then the gospel goes above not just the Jewish and Gentile barrier, it goes above all barriers. God wants all people to hear the gospel. The gospel is for all people. He wants everyone to hear it. It's greater than any kind of divide that we think might exist between us and another group of people. So, think of these people. We may see something of them in this story here, don't we? You know, I, 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 with this particular group. I guess this, this central guy here, the, the guy with the hats, we don't know him And do you know what? He is probably really well respected within his own community. 
He's looked up to, I should imagine, by his fellow travellers. But to us, he looks disgusting. He looks like trouble. In fact, they all do in this picture, don't they? They carry this kind of stigma around with them. They may even break the law. And what it does is it it creates this, this divide between us and them. So we don't particularly want to associate with them. But God does. God wants them to hear the gospel. Because he wants all people to hear the gospel. Or take the the homeless person on the the street. We tend to pass them by, don't we? We kind of treat them, I don't know if you do this, I, I think I do this, I treat them as less of a person as less of a human being somehow. And, you know, I, I get that they may have got themselves into this position by themselves. I get that if you were to give them money, they may use that really unwisely. But you know what? That person is a person, and despite their difference, they need to hear the gospel. And God wants them to hear the gospel. And so what are we to do? Well, Go around, put on some gospel glasses. See differently. I hope this causes us to to see these people differently. It might even cause us to be more proactive towards these kind of people. And you know what? It might even cause some of us or, or one of us to go abroad somewhere and preach the gospel to a completely different people group. I would love it if that happened. That would be such an encouragement if if, if that were to happen. But before we get there, just think about the people around you. You Think of the people at work or your next door neighbours. Even where the, the, the differences are less obvious. I wonder if you ever find yourself thinking, Well, I can't relate to this person, so I'm not sure the gospel is for them. Or I find this person really difficult to work with, so I'm not going to bother sharing the gospel with them. Well, this person is just not like me, so the gospel's for me, but, but not for them. You know, we need to see those people differently, don't we? We need to see them as people who God wants to hear the gospel. God wants all people to hear the gospel. Now, look, for us to know that, we we don't need a vision like Peter. Uh, I don't think we should expect a vision like Peter for us to actually go and and, and do that. We we have it written for us here. We have it in God's word. God wants all people to hear the gospel, and so we must see them differently. We must kind of put on our gospel glasses see people differently and tell them the gospel because God wants all people to hear the gospel. And what will happen? What will happen as you do that? Well, some people might reject you. But here's the amazing truth. For those who receive the gospel, God will save them. All those who receive the gospel will be saved. That's the second thing we see this morning. Second and last thing this morning. God saves 
all people who receive the gospel. God saves all people who receive the gospel. So Peter has, has, has told Cornelius and his friends the gospel, and we see the effects of it in verse 44. Just have a look down there. While Peter is still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. So the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and it comes to all those people who hear and what happens is these people start praising God and they're genuinely praising God. It's a work of the Spirit. And it's really clear for all those there to see that they have really gen- genuinely be saved. So what they do in verse 48 is they go ahead and they baptise them. Now it's important to say that it's not just that they've heard the gospel that means that that has happened. Okay, we've seen, haven't we, in the book of Acts already, lots of people hear the gospel and they reject it. They're not saved. But for these people, it's more than simply hearing. You see in verse 1 of chapter 11. See what happens to them? The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had not just heard the gospel, but they'd received the word of God. They received the gospel. See, that is that they accepted what they heard. That Jesus is Lord of all, that Jesus will judge them, and that they need to believe in him, his death and resurrection, for forgiveness of their sins. They received that gospel. And it's a message that saves them. That's why the Spirit comes on them. It, it, it saves them at that point. Now, what is interesting is that whilst Peter witnesses this happening, they witnesses them, they're receiving the gospel and, and baptises them, the wider church, they don't react in the same way. Just have a look at verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the, un, the circumcised believers, that is the Jewish church, what do they do in verse one, 2, do you see there? They criticised him. And said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? They can't believe this. He's saying, these people? You went to these people? And you ate with them? Now Peter, in response, explains what has happened. He talks them through the visions And he's trying to show them, look, God wanted this to happen. God directed this whole thing. God wanted these people to hear this. And God has saved this group of people. And he reaches a conclusion in verse 17. Just have a look down there. This is the key verse. Verse 17. He says, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Now when they heard this, when the rest of the church heard this, verse 18, they had no further objections and they praised God saying, so so then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Even the Gentiles. So you see, following Peter's explanation, they come to realise the gospel is not just for them as a Jewish nation, but, but it's a gospel that saves all people who receive it. Even the Gentiles. Now that means, do you see, that is not a gospel that is, it's not just a gospel that's greater than the barrier between these two groups, it's a gospel that destroys the barrier between the two groups. It completely breaks it down. And the key to that is in verse 17, isn't it? This is the most amazing thing, I I think, that leads the wider church to praising God, that in saving them, God has given them 
the same gift. It's the same Holy Spirit that they've received. Both Jews and Gentiles now have the same Holy Spirit. They have the same God living in them. They are at peace with the same God. So it's not that the Jews are over here and saying, yes, we know Jesus, and it's great that you guys believe in Jesus as well, but you stay over there with your Gentile community and there still be this barrier between us. No, do you see the Spirit has brought them into the same community? It's the same Spirit. They've been brought to the same God. They are one in Christ. That's what's happened. So I guess it's a bit like um, uh, these guys. Does anybody know who these people are? Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. So you've got Rashford. Which one's Rashford again? The red, is he the red one? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so there you go. Rashford plays for Manchester United. By the way, I am not a f- I don't know what I'm talking about here. So if you're not interested in football, bear with me. I, uh, we'll go with this. Hopefully it makes a point. So Rashford, this guy in the red shirt, he plays for Manchester United. Okay, and then you've got Sterling, who plays for um, Manchester City. He's in the blue shirt. And I guess week in, week out, they're on two completely different sides who probably hate each other because they're really big rivals. Yet, come the summer, okay, here's some topical application for you. Come the summer, what will happen is Rashford will take off his, his red shirt, his United shirt, Sterling will take off his, his City shirt, and they'll both put on an England shirt. And they'll go from having this huge divide between them, week in, week out, to playing for the same team. From opposing one another to, to trying to help one another and go in the same direction. Now look, that is what has happened to the Gentiles here. They both kind of received the same shirt, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that has happened to both groups as they've received the gospel. Now what that tells us is wonderfully, that's what happens to all people who receive the gospel. God saves all people who receive the gospel and gives them the same Holy Spirit and then joins them in doing so, joins them together. Now it's important to say to this point, look, if you've never done that, if you've never actually received the gospel, can I urge you to do that today? Because the great news is, as we see here, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter your nationality, or your background, or your job, or your personality, Jesus is Lord over you, and he will judge you. But as you come to him, he forgives you. And he gives you peace with God. And he gives you his Holy Spirit. And as he gives you Holy Spirit, he puts you on the same team as every other Christian that is here. And that then is the defining point of the church, isn't it? You're part of the church if you have received the gospel. You are brought into a community even if the community is made up of very different people. And so the big implication for us who have received the gospel, big implication for us as a church, is that that is the basis and the reason that we love one another. So I am not to love somebody based on their qualities or what they can bring or what they look like, 
or what they do for me or whether we have the same personality. I love somebody because they've received the same gospel that I have. You see, everybody who's received the gospel is we're on the same side, we're on the same team. We're going in the same direction. And so it'd be really weird, wouldn't it, if actually we were to associate, we were to look at people and think, you're on a different side to me. That's just not true. Again, what do we need to do? We need to, put, we need to look around the room and put on our gospel glasses. We need to see people through gospel lens. See people not on the outside, but as people who have the same Holy Spirit. We're on the same team. Now look, I really hope that this church is a wonderful example of that. Because as you look around the room, we are so different in so many ways. And yet our outward differences should never, ever cause us to look down on any member of this church. We love one another as brothers and sisters because we've received the same gospel, because we have the same Holy Spirit. Now, I think there are, there are the, the, you know, the test of whether we really believe this, the true test of whether we really believe this, is two things that we see in the text, I think. The, the first is this, whether we eat together. Now, I get that that was a, a, a kind of cultural thing at the time, but interesting, is what Peter did when he realised that the Gentiles had received the gospel on the very issue that divided them, he kind of put it to one side and he enjoyed eating with them. Now, again, I get that there's a particularly heightened thing at that point in time, but I think that is something for us to think about, isn't it? Who do we eat with? It is still a sign of acceptance. It's still a sign of, of kind of intimacy between people. And so who do we eat with is it is it people in the church that are just like us or people who are easy to talk to of course we can have those people around for lunch or tea or coffee or whatever but i wonder if we had somebody like this come along to church professing to be a christian whether we would be really quick to say come round for tea i our differences are great but you know what? Our God is the same. So you're, you're welcome. Come, come and eat with us. I think that's, that's the first test whether we really get this. I think the second measure is, is whether we praise God for each other. That's what the church do in verse 18, don't they? When, when they realise that the Gentiles have received the gospel, bear in mind that they hated that group of people. What do they do? They realise this is true and they praise God. God has saved them and so we're going to praise him. I wonder if we can do that. See, yes, it's possible, isn't it, to have different characters and habits and problems and illnesses and situations. And it may, those things may cause us to think less of someone but we need to see past those things 
If that, if, if that person has received the gospel, if God has saved them, we praise God for that. And we praise God for them. We see differently because the gospel is for all people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that the gospel is for all people. And we thank you that we, it's for people like us, like me. We thank you that it's such an amazing thing for us to receive the gospel. We pray, Father, that as we know that truth, that it would humble us. And it would cause us to see differently. There's people who've once received the gospel ourselves, that we would see others who need to hear the gospel that all people need to hear the gospel. And we would see those around us, those who believe the gospel, as people who are on the same side. Father, please help us to love one another well, regardless of how different we may be. Father, we thank you for our unity in Christ. We pray that we would live that out as a church for your glory. Amen. Okay, we've got five minutes, so let's, let's just have a, 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 perhaps a minute's discussion, and then we will um, have a really quick question time. Um, so maybe talk about some of the things that you've that struck you or you, you, you thought about, and then we'll open that up. Okay, so just a minute or so. Okay, sorry to interrupt you. Um, are there any particularly burning questions, comments, uh, thoughts before we uh, sing? Anything that's helpful for people to hear? Okay. Yeah. Uh, we were just saying about how um, we think we do we do judge people uh, like that and think that things aren't for them. And um, I guess part of that is because we don't view ourselves rightly. Yeah. You know, a bit like what you were saying. Yeah. Um, if we were more amazed mm. at how undeserved our salvation is, mm. we wouldn't think that they didn't deserve it either. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, John. Yeah, that's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, and I guess again, the if, as we remember, somebody pointed this out to me recently. Uh, as we remember that we also received the gospel, we recognise it's possible in others. You know, because I, I some, sometimes I think uh, this person is never gonna, never gonna trust in Christ. That that's crazy. But I just think, well, I did. And God caused me, to, that wasn't me, God caused me to do that. God saved me, so God can save this person. Um, yeah. Go on, Paul. Um, John always has very good points. So let me just try and add some jam on top of his point. I think it, it boils down to grace. Um, yeah. the, and we were listening to someone the other day, Maureen and I, um, uh, it was a guy called Paul Tripp, who you mentioned at uh, Home Group, and he was talking about 
marriage and how, you know, he's written a book called What Did You Expect? <laughs> um, but he said in order for marriage to function, um, the only way that it works is that you are extending grace that you have received. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a very useful idea. Mm. So if we understand the grace that God has bestowed upon mm. us, if we understand that we are deserving of death, mm. we are deserving of you know, to be crucified, to be excluded from his presence forever, and yeah. I don't know if it's torment, like some other form of torment, or if that is sufficient torment in itself, but that is what we are deserving. Yeah. Um, but when we see that the love and that he has lavished on us, the mercy he has given us, mm. then we, as, as John is saying, you know, then we, we realize the magnitude of that, and we know that we are no better than anyone else. Yeah, yeah. We've received something that yeah. we was never ours to begin with. Yeah. Um, and then, then we would not even ask why, why should this person trust Christ, but um, you want to know that these are other people just like yourself. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. grace yeah. is what it boils down to. Yeah, thank you, Paul. And I think we see that here, don't we? So that the, the, the spirit is not only the same spirit. That, I think that's what I really kind of drew out. But it's a gift. It's been given to you, undeservedly, as you say, Paul. You know, um, I say, yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Thanks very much. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Go on, Tim. I'm going to fire a question at you. Yeah. That if uh, the events for Cornelius didn't happen, yeah, would any of us be here? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, no. <laughs> In one sense, no. In another sense, yes, because I think that was God. That was always God's intention. So he happened to use Cornelius, um, but uh, yeah, that that that's a great point, though. That, that this that what this what this passage does before we start looking out is to say, actually, this means this 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 means we as Gentile people, have received something that, you know, that wasn't ours initially. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's, and again, it all, that all boils down to grace, doesn't it? It's, it's great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, we, we ought to sing. Um, let's stand. We're seeing this great, 